everybody, this is Mike Van Meter, and welcome to the Recovery is Possible podcast. I want to thank you for joining me. You can reach us at our Facebook site, which is also called Recovery is Possible, or our website, which is vanmeterwellnesssolutions.com. And this podcast exists to educate the public about addiction, remove the stigma associated with addiction, and offer help and support to those suffering from addiction. And this episode is sponsored by FHE Health, a substance abuse and mental health treatment center specializing in treatment for the first responders' needs, including PTSD, anxiety, and substance use. So take the first steps to a better life today by visiting FHEHealth.com. Folks, today I want to introduce you to a lady that I met uh, in a class I was taking down at the Leadership Institute in Alexandria, Virginia, and her name is Sue Gilroy. And Sue is from Australia. In fact, she's uh, calling from Australia today, so we have a bit of a time change going on. In fact, uh, this is Sunday evening uh, before Labor Day, and I understand it's already Monday, already Labor Day down there in Australia, and I, I really appreciate Sue coming on the program, and, and she's going to take us into a bit of a different direction for this podcast, but a very, very important direction when it comes to addiction, recovery, and, and issues uh, surrounding uh, people, particularly women. And Sue is a, a professional coach, uh, what we would call a life coach here in the United States, but it involves life, career, and, and business strategies. And she is also a registered nurse and uh, has worked with uh, management of medical centers down there in Singleton in Hunter Valley, New South Wales in Australia. And what Sue is going to be talking to us about is trauma and the conditioning of women regarding their self-worth and the shame and the trauma associated with that. And that's uh, certainly a very important topic. And Sue and I were discussing this when I met her at the Leadership Institute, and I just thought, you know, we need to, this is an important conversation that we need to have and we don't do enough of. And having a perspective from Australia, I just I just found it interesting. I just find anybody from Australia interesting. And so you certainly are one of those people. So welcome to the show. Thank you, Mike, and thank you so much for having me. And certainly I agree, you know, all Australians are interesting. <laughs> yes, all are, especially you, especially you. But I, I just have so much fun talking to uh, folks from Australia and uh, in, in the class that I was in, you and the folks that you're with were sitting behind me and I just really enjoyed getting to know you guys. And uh, I'm so excited you're on the program. And just tell us a bit about yourself uh, what it is that you do, and then we'll get into this topic, which is a trauma and the conditioning of women, because that's a, a very important topic. So just tell us a little bit about your background yeah, and who you are. Absolutely. So I grew up in um, in the outback of New South Wales, or what you would call the outback, so quite remote and in regional centres. And my dad was in emergency services, so how about that? He was an ambulance, or, or you, you call them paramedics over there, and we do call them paramedics now, but yeah. he was in the ambulance service, and my mum was a nurse. So I come from a health background. So I grew up um, in the outback quite isolated from society. Then I, I we moved to Singleton in the Hunter Valley, beautiful place. You should come and visit sometime. And um, grew up there and... I was one of those meek and mild females who wasn't, who was too scared to speak up, too scared to understand that um, that she had self worth, that she could actually progress and be successful in life, because and I didn't know it then. I was conditioned to think that I was less. And through my work, I, you know, and I, I, I became a nurse like my mum. I sort of fell into that. What people say, why did you become a nurse? I think I fell into that because that was expected that you did something like that. Um, and then I went off and, and, and honestly, 
through through a lot of my career progression, I fell into roles. But those roles made me grow. Um, and then life events come along, as they do for all of us, good and bad, and they make you step outside your comfort zone. And even though you're going through the, those bad times and, and often good times, you're often thinking, why is this happening to me? So as I got older and I went into leadership roles, I started leading big teams, I started to understand that particularly women were holding themselves back and they were the ones in their own row. So I, I started looking into how can I help particularly women, you know, obviously people develop, but particularly women develop and understand that their self-worth is important and understand that they can be just as successful as men. That's pretty well me in a nutshell. So I did the work. I have, um, since I've done the work on myself, and you've always got to do the work on yourself, I've had career opportunities and opportunities in life that I would never have imagined and I would never have stepped into because I was conditioned not to. That's a very interesting concept. And I think it's all, <clears throat> I think it's a lot more common in, not just in Australia, but here as well. And there's a lot of implications. And, and with you working in the, the nursing field, what are sort of the manifestations of this holding yourself back? Are you seeing, um, uh, well, I mean, th this podcast is centered around addiction, but what sort of mental health conditions and maybe addiction issues did you see coming out of that? Because, you know, working in the nursing field, I'm, I'm sure you did see that. Absolutely. And look, the biggest one I see is lack of self-worth. And, you know, is that mental health? Um, it's not not commonly linked to mental health. But if you have strategies and patterns around lack of self-worth and you continue those through your life and they might come from a background of trauma or they might come from, you know, a strategy to keep you safe as a child, they, they very well can lead into mental health issues as you, as you get older because you still continue to run strategies that don't work for you. You still continue to run patterns and strategies that hold you back. And then you go through life wondering why the hell you can't get for go forward or you can't achieve what you want to do, all the time un unknowingly running patterns that you, you developed as a child or through trauma to keep you safe. So whether that leads to you know depression and anxiety, whether that leads to addictions, certainly they all contribute because there is no self-worth. And we know that one of the big factors around um, addiction and mental health issues is that lack of self-worth or that lack of I don't belong here or I can't I can't get along in this society so I need to look for something that will help me. Yeah, and you know it's interesting because you talked about the patterns that people fall into and I think that that's not just uh related to women or unique to women I think it's unique to a lot of people. And I just, I just share with you something that became an ongoing pattern when I was interning at, a, at Ashley Treatment Center up in Maryland. And I would have, uh, now, so picture this, I'm, I'm, in a, I'm working in a 28-day treatment facility, and the, the patients that come into this place, I mean, imagine this, you, your life got to the point to where you or someone in your life said, I need to go to a treatment center. And that's a big decision. It's a big decision for anyone. And mm -hmm. just think of how... how you know, problematic your drinking or drugging would have to be before you get to the point where you end up in a inpatient treatment facility. And then they come in and they're talking to me. And I 
routinely would hear patients say th- like the following. They would say, you know, Mike, I, I hear what you're saying, but, uh, you know, I don't have, my problem's not that bad. It's it's really not. And I hear what you're suggesting that I should do, but that won't work for me. <clears throat> what what I'm going to do is this instead of, you know, whatever we, we were suggesting. Now, mm-hmm. what they were always doing it caused them to end up in the treatment center to begin with. And so it was this pattern of mm. thinking like you're you're talking about. It's like we've learned one Absolutely. way of living, one way of living. And for some reason, we think that that keeps working despite all of the evidence that it's not working for us. And so when you're you're coaching and when you're coaching individuals, do you do you see that sort of uh, same pattern of thinking? And if so, how do you what, what kind of strategies do you utilize to get to break that pattern? Yeah. Um, over and over again. Over they ninety nine percent of my clients, and, and I find this quite funny. Funny is not probably not the right word. You know, I have clients, and I, I attract um, as a coach. I tend to attract high high achieving women, and often high achieving women don't think they've got any problems other than the next client or the, the you know the next big contract or, or whatever if they're in business. And over and over again, I get women walk into my my rooms or walk into a co- their first coaching session, and I just I just want to do this. I just want that client, or I just want to get this contract, or I just want. I'm going, yeah, that's fine. Let's have a look. Ninety nine percent of the time, there is a personal limiting belief there that I have to unblock first. They don't even know it's there, but once I unblock it. They, they go, oh, my God, I didn't even know that was there. And oftentimes, and Mike, this makes me laugh every time I hear a client say it, but they say it over and over, in, the, in those early sessions, they'll say to me, you sit on my shoulder whenever I talk to people or you sit on my shoulder when I go into a meeting <laughs> because you're giving me the strategies to change those limiting beliefs. Mm-hmm. But in the beginning, I have to be in their ear. Um, so what I do as a coach is I explore what the limiting belief is. So you've got to identify, first of all, what is it, and then explore where it came from. So as a coach, my strategy is to, number one, make them feel comfortable, make them feel safe, make them feel that whatever they say in the space with me is a very safe space mm-hmm. because I have to go into some pretty personal stuff to actually understand where their limiting beliefs or their strategies have come from. Often our strategies are developed before we're seven years old. So often as a child, and obviously that doesn't dismiss trauma and things that happen in our life, but a lot of our strategies that even lead into the problems we have later in life are developed before we're seven years old. While we're developing and you know how our our, our and our you know our parents do the very best they can with what they have, but sometimes they implement things or, or they do things around us that make us as children don't feel safe. So we have to implement strategies and limiting beliefs to keep ourselves safe. So what I do, first of all, is um, I actually find out what's keeping them back. So I explore them. um, I explore their limiting beliefs. I explore what they believe about themselves to start with and where they sit on the scale. And then I start to understand where it came from and we explore why. And we start changing that, that strategy because the subconscious mind is very powerful. As you know, the subconscious brain um, makes us breathe. It makes us think. It keeps us alive. Uh, and, uh, and we dismiss how powerful that is. And all those thoughts and those limiting beliefs come from our subconscious brain. So I start with that. With that, I explore where it's coming from. Wow, um, 
And then you throw in any any traumas on top of that, and it can just be a recipe for disaster. And um, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. It, it's going into finding out, because there's so many misconceptions about uh, what our abilities are and then reinforcements of the, the limitations. And, you know, it's interesting. The, the, how, let me ask you this. How did you get into this line of work? What, what was the motivation for that? Um, if I'm really truthful, I fell into it. <laughs> I, I think that's true for me as well in this business. Yeah. <laughs> but I come from a background of health. Yeah. I come from a background of helping people. Um, and even in leadership, you know, my favorite part of leadership and management was developing my people to be the very best that they could be, even if they didn't believe they could be. Um, so that was always my favorite part. You know, I love people. I love developing people. I feel that I'm here for a reason. I feel that I'm here to leave a legacy of mm -hmm. helping others be their best. So I sort of fell into it um, in my roles as manager and leaders. Um, and then after I um, naively resigned from my corporate role and said, no, I'm just going to start my own business, I started studying coaching. Um, so it just added, while I'd done a lot of work in mental health, I actually hadn't done that work in coaching. And I didn't understand how we run patterns, how we run strategies, how we even understand how to coach a person out of those strategies. So I started to actually develop myself as well as do the um, the um, study to actually become qualified as a coach mm -hmm. and to add it to my toolkit then to actually take me forward. So I pretty well fell into it, but it was from an interest of helping other people or particularly women like myself who didn't believe in themselves become their best selves and look at opportunities and accept opportunities that are outside their comfort zone. Mm. Now, and you, you talked specifically about the conditioning of women regarding their self-worth. Now, is this something, is this a worldwide phenomenon, the way that you look at it, or is this something, um, you know, I mean, you've been to the United States, I met you here, but in Australia, is there something culturally going on there, or what are your thoughts on that? Because that's pretty specific when you say, you know, I'm uh, the conditioning of women regarding their self-worth. Where does that come from? Yeah, uh, and I think it is worldwide. I think, you know, if, you, if we go back, hundreds, probably thousands of years, we've always conditioned our women um, or our girls to actually not believe, you know, even back in tribal times, in the caveman times, that, you know, you, you, your man was your breadwinner, your man kept you alive, the women just looked after the children and, you know, made the food. That conditioning has continued. Uh, and I think we've come a long way, Mike. I really do, mm -hmm. particularly in our, in our first world countries like Australia and America. You know, our, our women are achieving now, but not every woman is achieving because we still have a culture, even though we've done a lot of work, um, where we don't condition our women to think that they're equal. And I know that will probably ruffle some feathers, but we don't. We still have a conditioning society that our females or our women or our girls do, don't believe they can achieve what our, our male counterparts come, can. Now, I come from a family, I've got three brothers, I'm the only girl. Um, so I came from a family um, that I was loved and respected, absolutely, but my brothers were given all the opportunities. Mm. And, you know, it was, you know, Sue, Sue can just stay home and look after the boys or Sue can help with the washing or Sue. So for many, many years, that conditioning, whilst I was in a loving, caring environment, that's all I thought I could do. 
That's mm. all I thought my worth was. Um, so I think unintentionally we still do it. Probably we have got better at it, but we still do it. And as I said, it will probably ruffle some feathers, but I believe that's the case. Um, look, third world countries is probably in some um, beliefs, certainly it's worse, but certainly in our first world countries, we think we're working towards it and we certainly are doing some work, but we're nowhere near there. You've only got, only got to look at the uh, the pay gap for males and females. Yeah, what well, do you do you find that are you meeting resistance in Australia when you when you talk about this subject? Look, I probably get a lot of lips, lip service going, yeah, 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 we'll do this. And even, um, um, you know, and I don't know whether you hear the news over here, but even in our government and even in our parliament, there's been issues around women and um, some, you know, sexual abuse and all those sorts of things. It's almost as if um, it's still a part of our society and we keep talking about making it better, but we're not if that makes sense. Well, now, and I'll, I'll just, uh, and I hope you're okay with this, I'm going to share with the listeners that you are, in fact, running for a public office in in Australia, correct? I am, yes. You are, now. About to be announced as a candidate, actually. I'm sorry? <laughs> I'm about to be announced as a candidate for the next election. Oh, wait, wait a minute. So it's breaking news on this podcast, huh? <laughs> <laughs> it's breaking news. Well, uh, the reason breaking why news. I bring this up is because is is this something that you are discussing um, is part of your platform or what we it's, would call as a platform here? It's certainly – look, it's always part of my agenda, Mike. Absolutely is always part of my agenda. It's always on my platform. Where Whenever I speak, I, I speak about, you know, women. And, you know, I'm not – you know, I'm not a, you know – burn your bra, feminist, I'm not one of those. I just believe that we need to be looking after everybody on an equal platform. So I absolutely will be, um, it will be part of my campaign because I believe that we need to be doing more, that that our girls should be treated equally, that our women should be treated equally, that we, we need to understand that we, we are actually influencing and conditioning our women to create patterns around not being worthy enough, not having the value, um, because if we stop that, and you know, and it's not just females, we do it to men as well, and we do it to boys, but we predominantly do it to women. We've got to stop the conditioning. We've got to understand how we bring our girls up to feel that their value is just as important as our boys. Yeah, no. The reason why I asked that and 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 bring up you running for office, I was just wondering if uh, if you have or if you expect to meet any resistance regarding this message. In other words, you know, people in Parliament down there are saying, "Look, we don't know what you're talking about. We we do treat women equally and and attack you for this." Is this uh, so? Is this a shared value in Australia, or are you finding that there's a lot of resistance? Um, I think there. It will probably not come across as resistance. It will come across in subtle mannerisms and subtle. And, and I'll share with you, Mike, I, I, this is not the first time I'll run for election. I ran in a by-election in 2021. 2021. And, and I'm just going to share some experiences with you because yeah. I, hadn't, I hadn't run a campaign before. I hadn't been in that space before. 
And I had some meetings and some of my colleagues um, in the party that I was running with came to some meetings with me to stakeholders that, you know, you know what it's like. You talk to lots of people in the in that space of a campaign and you want to understand what the issues are. I was even in meetings where if I had a male colleague with them, they would talk directly to the male colleague. They wouldn't even acknowledge that I was the candidate or I was even in the room. Um, I actually had a meeting with a mayor and a female GM, and I was with a male colleague, the males talked. So it's just subtle sometimes that you're just not acknowledged on the same level. You're almost dismissed at times that you don't have the knowledge or experience where sometimes you've probably got more knowledge and experience. So sometimes it's subtle. I won't say there'll be outwardly um, conflict or, or pushback, because I said we get we we get a lot of talk around actually helping our women, but certainly we need to be consciously doing it and understanding what our patterns. And, and you know, I know you're a male, so I accept this. But sometimes our males don't actually even realise what they're doing because mm-hmm. they've been conditioned a, a different way. So yeah, that's it's very interesting. I you know I like you. I want to say that it's less. Today and I think it, not just with women, but I think you know r- racial relations have improved yes. you know a great deal over the years, and there's there's no question about that. I know you know here in the United States that uh, there's a lot of you know particularly lately there's a lot of people trying to create division and divisiveness. But um, you know I've lived long enough, and I think you've lived long enough that we I can see that certainly since the you know my childhood days things have absolutely improved quite a bit, mm. and. Even if it if it's real or perceived, I think when it comes to the issue of people struggling with mental health issues and certainly addiction issues, that's a real pro- it's a problem. It can be a stumbling block for people, particularly when they feel like there is no hope, there is no way forward, and there's no future or, or their their future is is limited. And finding the ways to get people to break out of that. And, and even if you are being discriminated against, you know, being able to thrive and become successful. And, you know, if I've, I've always said that don't ever let other people hold, hold you back. I mean, don't be the one to take yourself out, oh. I, sh- I should say. Let me, let me rephrase that. That if there's going to be a ceiling, let, you know, fight that ceiling. But oftentimes, and the experience I've had with clients that have come into the, the treatment center is they limit themselves before others limit them. And I think that's where the uh, sort of conditioning that you were talking about, like you've been conditioned to think that you can't succeed and you apply, it becomes almost a self-fulfilling prophecy. You don't succeed because you've been told that you can't succeed, even though no one actually told you that you couldn't succeed, if that makes sense. I think that could be part of the conditioning. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of that is those the patterns that we talked about and the strategies that we develop to keep ourselves safe. So, you know, one of, one of the ones that I run across all the time in males and females is, is that fear of rejection, that fear of judgment, that fear of I'm not good enough. So if I put myself out there, I've got to, I've actually got to actually take that back. Um, and I've got to accept that because people will see that I'm not good enough. So stepping through the fear is the big, it's the, the major step that we all have to face. Um, to move forward and that's really hard because we're conditioned to think that fear is bad um, and that if we step through fear 
that were in danger. Um, and that was very true in caveman days because if fear came up in caveman days, we were probably going to be eaten by a saber-toothed tiger or something <laughs> like that. But often, <laughs> which I think is very true, so you had to run and you had to save yourself and you had to save your family. But these days fear comes up for, for things that, aren't going to endanger our lives, but we still think fear is bad. And one of the things I teach is that understand what fear is. Understand if it is fear, understand if you're safe. So if it's fear, for example, that you've been asked to do something that you've never done before or you've been asked, you know, if you're in a state of addiction, there's a lot of fear there because putting yourself out there, even people shame around that addiction. Mm-hmm. The fear there is to go, if I face this, what will people think of me? So shame. If I face this, what will people say? So judgment. But if you face that fear, and that's the biggest step, and understanding that if you step through that fear rather than stepping back, because our first our first instinct when fear comes up is to step back. And I think you'll agree with me there. Mm-hmm. And if we have the awareness around fear and go, well, I'm actually safe in this situation. What if I step forward and just see what it does? That's the first step and that's the hardest step because then we understand that fear isn't going to, you know, endanger our lives, but it could very well be the path to our success or overcoming addiction or or, or whatever that is because then we start to believe that we are enough to step forward. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, we often say in recovery that you have to live in the present because the past is already done. Whatever whatever has happened in your past, yep. there's nothing you can do about it. You can wish that it will go away yep. or change, but it's not going to. And the future hasn't happened yet. And I and when I'm speaking in public, a lot of times I will ask people in the audience, you know, when when are you going to die? Tell me tell me the day and the hour that you're going to die. And of course no one knows the answer to that. And so since you don't know whether this time tomorrow night whether you're going to be alive or not, it really doesn't make any difference. Why, you know, why worry about it? Because you don't know. You don't know when your last day on earth is going to be. So there's no point in worrying about that. And if you worry about tomorrow, which hasn't happened yet, and you don't know if it's going to happen, and you can't change what happened yesterday or last week, then what you're left with is the present. And the problem is that we worry so much about the future in the past that we forget to live in the present and we don't experience the present and we don't need to do those things. We don't do those things that are in front of us. And that's, that's another tagline that we use. And that is do the next right thing, but you do that thing that is in front of you. But oftentimes, so when you're talking about fear, people oftentimes are fearful about things that have not happened yet. And frankly might not happen, but yet they don't do Mm. the things that they should do right now to get to that next step that will take them towards success. Uh, would you agree with absolutely. that? Absolutely. Yeah. I absolutely agree with that. And that, um, you know, the shame and the fear and the, you know, when I talk about shame, it's usually past. It's something mm-hmm. that's happened in the past that we have created a pattern around to go, I'm ashamed of that. And it's and it's usually what we've created. And, and one of the things I say um, to all my clients, particularly when I, I've, I've been working with them and they'll come and they'll go get into overwhelm and they'll go, oh, what about? I can't do this. And I'll go, stop. What are you making it mean right now? And they'll often go, oh, okay. What am I making it mean? Because we are meaning-making machines. We make everything that happens to us. We give it all a meaning. 
But sometimes that meaning isn't even relevant to what's going on because we have that pattern and we have that shame in the past. So let's leave that there. Let's let's understand what this situation happening to us now it means to us and what we're making it mean. And can we change that meaning? Because that's the step to taking another step forward to go, let's change the meaning. So let's not mean, let's not make it mean that, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not good enough or I'm stuck in this addiction or I can't do anything more because I have no path forward. Let's make it mean that I'm actually asking for help now, mm-hmm. that I've taken a step into fear. Um, so let's make the, make it mean something different. And a lot of my work is around that subconscious brain and understanding what we make things mean what the emotion is attached to that because if we can change what we make it mean, we can change the emotion. Now, if that emotion is fear and we can change the meaning of the thought, we can change the feeling, we can change the emotion. And that's a big step. If we can step out of fear and change what that is and go, well, actually, I'm asking for help now. That's what I'm going to make it mean now. Um, It's not that I'm not good enough. It's not that, you know, I'm stuck in an addiction and I'm not worthy of anything. It's actually, I'm actually asking for help. So I'm going to make it mean something different. So I absolutely agree. And that's the past. In the future, and I'll just add this in, Mike, when I talk to my clients sometimes, and particularly in business, they'll go, I haven't got my life planned out. I don't know what's going to happen in 10 years. I'm going, why do you need to know? (laughs) It's true. (laughs) (laughs) You can have a goal, but... Why do you need to know what's going to happen tomorrow or next year or five years from now? Because your path might take different different paths along the way that make you grow. And if you have a have a goal and a path that's so rigid, how can you grow? You can't. So why do you need to know? And I'm laughing because you, like me, you, when I asked you what brought you into this field, you said, "Well, I kind of fell into it." And and look at look at me doing the work that I'm doing right now. Trust me, 30, 35 years ago, if you would have told me that I would be hosting a uh, recovery podcast and I would have just completed, you know, retired from a, a military and FBI career, just and become an addictions counselor, I'd have been like, "Are you crazy?" But that's exactly where I am, <laughs> you know, because you don't know where life is yeah. going to take you, right? And that that goes back yeah. to you don't know what the future is going. To hold and really what it comes down to is just listening to the guidance listening to the direction listening to you know where life is taking you because where you think we all think we know where we're gonna go and and that that i think that's part of you know what puts people at at, at dis-ease is that you think you're going and wonder you want to have this perfect plan laid out but that's not life is it that's not how life works you no. may end up in a completely no. different place but that's okay yeah and it is okay because if you're not open to what what life gives you, you res- you limit yourself, you restrict what happens to you. And if I think about some of the things I've done, and I'm sure with you, Mike, if you had asked me 10 years ago if I was going to run for public office, I would have gone, no effing way. <laughs> um, because <laughs> Don't do that to me. It wasn't on my radar, <laughs> <laughs> wasn't on my radar um, because it scared the absolute you know what out of me because it was outside my comfort zone and even when and I know we weren't going to talk about politics but I I just need to grab onto that one because it was scary it was scary that they came and said we want you to run for office and I said no there's no way I can't do that and then I started to reflect on how I work with my clients to actually step outside the fear step outside the limiting belief that I'm not good enough to do that and I thought you know what 
I actually have to do this as I've had to do other things in my life because it it will make me grow. Whether I win, lose or otherwise, it will make me grow. Yeah, and you so know. I stepped into it. Yeah, go on. No, I was going to say, and, and, and so that's an interesting situation you're in. Because uh, you know what? If it, now now I'm reminded, I think you had mentioned to me that when I asked you what motivated you to run for public office, and you said to me, "Well, other people asked me to do it." So now you're in you're in kind of a, a a conundrum there because here you are talking about stepping outside of your comfort zone, and you know you can do these types of things, and now you're in a situation where you almost have to do it, or else people will look at you and say, "But wait a minute! But you tell me to step out of my comfort zone." Yeah, yep. Yeah, so exactly you almost right. had to and do that's it. Why, <laughs> yeah, that's why I did it. That's why I did it. And and you know what? It was, as I said before, something I hadn't planned. I loved it. I'm going to do it again. But if I had been closed and I hadn't made a choice to actually give it a go, I would have missed that opportunity. And mm-hmm. we so often are so rigid in where we want to go, and we're so so comfortable in our comfort zone. That we don't we don't look outside there, and you know when we when we talk about addiction, like it or not, they're comfortable. They're comfortable in addiction mm. because it makes them feel good. Yeah, until they get up to a point where the pain is so bad they want to get out of it. Mm-hmm. But another saying that I use is get really comfortable with being uncomfortable because yep. when you're uncomfortable, you're actually changing and you're growing. Yeah, that's true. So getting really comfortable with being uncomfortable. And it's hard because we like being comfortable. We like sitting on a cozy couch and, you know, not feeling like we're being pressured or challenged. But if you can change your mindset around that, every time you feel com- uncomfortable, you then go, okay, what am I learning? What's next? What's the challenge? So that I, and I do it now. I'll go, what's the challenge? What am I going to learn? Um, even, and even if we, it, we lose, and I don't like the word lose because I think success is what we all make it. It, it doesn't have to be having the most money or the most – you know, the most high esteem um, job or the, the, the biggest title or, or, or the most material possessions. Success is what we, we want it to be in our lives. So I think we – I forgot where I was going then, Mike. I've lost my train of thought. We need to redefine what success is, but we need to step outside our comfort zone and not feel like we have to be comfortable all the time because if we don't step into that, you know, that uncomfortable space, we don't grow. Yeah, I think that that's that's a good takeaway there. And and again, I see those parallels in the treatment center where I'm working with people is that they we get into this pattern of what we think life is. And so, whether if you're in a, if you're in caught up in an addiction, that's your life. That's where you're you're comfortable. Um, it becomes uncomfortable in uh, in ways that if let me let me phrase it this way. Many, many, many people, when they come into recovery, and frankly, I would even put myself in this category, if I could have continued drinking the way I was drinking without the consequences, I'd probably still be drinking, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Okay? So you're mm. comfortable with it. It's not It's not the drinking or the drugging that in your mind is bad. It's the things around you that make it bad. Your, your wife, your husband, your spouse, mm. boyfriend, girlfriend, mm. whatever your situation is, my job. My, my boss is yep. on my back. 
maybe you're yep. starting to have legal consequences, you know, with uh, with law enforcement, things like that. That's really what motivates people to change. It's because then that starts to infringe, uh, you know, those outside influences start to, to infringe on it. But the fact is, what you're involved in that pattern, you're quite okay with it, right? But it's yeah, very exactly. destructive, and and in being caught in that, and being caught in what you're talking about, um, that that maybe low self esteem, low self worth, all those types of things, the clients that you're getting, in a way, they're kind of comfortable with that because um, that's what they've been conditioned to believe. But it makes it stagnant, just the way that addiction makes you stagnant. Even though you're comfortable mm. with it, you're not advancing. You're not getting that college degree. You're not getting that high school diploma. You're not getting that promotion at work. You're not getting married. You're not moving out of the house. Or in, the, in with your clients, they're not moving up the corporate ladder or they're not um, reaching out and doing the great things mm. that they want to do because they're caught in that pattern. And that's what has to be sh- shaken up, don't you think? Absolutely. And, you know, I'm going to go back to that, um, you know, that comfort space of, of addiction. Um, and we use, a, we use a model called pain and pleasure within, uh, and it always sounds a bit odd when I say that, within coaching. But we as humans will will do more to avoid pain than we will to seek pleasure. So mm. sometimes in situations, particularly addiction, particularly like a pretty well any situation, we have to reach a point where it is so painful. Uh, and, and that might be things that are happening around us. It has to be so painful that we want to change it. So then we'll take the steps we need to actually avoid the pain. But while we're comfortable and the pain's not too bad, we won't take those steps. So it's understanding and sometimes as a coach, we actually try and increase the pain to actually make them take the step. And that sounds a bit, you know, why would you do that? But sometimes you've just got to go, well, let's make you realise how much pain you're in so then you can take the step to actually turning the corner and seeking out the pleasure of a better life. Well, I, it makes sense, actually. There there are parallels. I mean, it, let's say you're in, you're in a marriage and your your partner is drinking or drugging and they, they don't want to change. Well, then... Okay, we're either a going to continue down this path to self destruction, or there's going to be action. And and what do we normally do? I'm I'm going to take the kids. I'm going to leave. I'm going to move out. I'm going to get a divorce. Or um, yep. you know you, uh, what happens when you drink and drive? You get pulled over. And you know here in the United States, if you get pulled over for drinking and driving, it's going to cause. Well, not only do you have a criminal record, but you have. Uh, a lot of financial consequences and very expensive uh, financial consequences, mm. and that's a, that's applying those those screws, if you will, making it harder and harder and and more and more mm. difficult. And so, uh, yeah, I think it's it, it's unfortunate that it's it's necessary, but that's that's what it takes with people. And in the world that you're working in, mm. so in the world that you're working in and coaching women to to sort of break out of their comfort zone to seek success, what would that pain look like? I mean, in the addiction world, we can see it pretty clearly, but it, what about in your in the world with the clients that you have? What does that pain look like? Often the pain is around lack of, lack of value and lack of self-worth. So I make them understand where they're going to be if they stay there. So I make them, I take them to a place of where did you develop that belief? And then I increase that. So what will happen if you keep so they might, for example, I might say, I'll go, if you if you continue this this pattern, 
how will that make you feel? And they might make, they might say, oh, that I can't do the job. I'm going, if you can't do the job, how will that make you feel? Um, and they might say, oh, well, it will make me wonder what people think of me. I'm making this up as I go. If, if, if people, if you're wondering what people are thinking of you, how will that make you feel? And they might say sad. And then I might say, well, if you feel sad, how will that make you feel? So I, I chunk down as what, what we call chunking down. And then we get to that desolate, I'm not good enough, I'm bad, I can't do anything, then I start to chunk up. If you change that situation. So it might be, it's just making them realise the depth of what their belief or their pattern, how, how it's holding them back, where it's holding them back, where it came from, and making them feel it. Because often we let life live us and we don't feel what happens within our bodies. Mm -hmm. But if we start to actually have awareness around where it's coming from and go, oh, I'm running that pattern again, let me think about what's going to happen if I keep doing that. Because then I make them aware of how they can change the pattern and how they can change the thought process around the pattern. Okay, well, what, what will that bring you? Well, that will make me more satisfied in my job. If you feel more satisfied in your job, what will that bring you? Well, that'll bring me happiness. If you feel happy, what will that bring you? With the ultimate goal of bringing joy, um, so it's almost like making them feel it a lot and then bringing them back up to go, what could the potential of you be? Because that's what we need to, to set as a goal. That's how we need to change your awareness and your choices around your thinking and your 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 patterns and your choices. Is Does that pattern serve you? No, it doesn't serve me anymore. Well, let's change the pattern because really it doesn't belong in your life anymore. It kept you safe up till now but now it's holding you back, so let's change that. So it's making them aware, giving them the pain around what's going to happen if they keep doing it, and then making them make the choice to actually go, well, actually, I don't want to do that anymore. Wow. And then and then the, then the individualizing that for the client to help oh, map absolutely. out what I that would look different. like for them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'll share with you, and, you know, I, I had a client, very successful um, lady who had ran her own business doing really really well um, and I always use her as my model and she knows this and she walked in she said I just want to get that client mm -hmm. I'm going, okay that's fine we can do that and we went into a lot of and a lot of hers was around it she couldn't see the value in herself for her client so she thought that the client only had value she didn't think she had value so we unpacked that and after about three or four sessions, she came to me one day. She's going, I've had something's come up for me. And I'm going, well, what was that? She said, I was in a fire. I was in a fire when I was a young girl. And I can still see myself, you know, outside that house watching it burn down, knowing that I had nothing left. And she said, I've just remembered that. And that was part of that value. It was part of that limiting belief that was holding her back that she had nothing left. Um, so it's amazing what holds us back. It's amazing when we dig deep what's in there. And once we start to uncover that and once they start to realise that's where it's coming from, it's well within their power. And as I say, reach for the stars because all you've got to do is reach. They're there. They're already there. You've just got to get there. Yeah. It's amazing how much our past influences how we think now. It really is. Oh. Absolutely. And the things that happen to us, you know, particularly, you know, you talked about trauma, Mike, um, in emergency services. Yeah. You know, that trauma in our past, yes, absolutely, if we don't unpack it, it's going to affect how what the choices we make. Yeah. And choice is one of the one things we have control over in our lives. So if we have limiting beliefs or strategies that we've, we've developed to keep ourselves safe, 
we affect the choices we make going forward. You know, <clears throat> interestingly enough, I was speaking to a woman today, as a matter of fact, that um, is really struggling. And, you know, she's had uh, about a, approximately a year of sobriety and she's mm-hmm. becoming unraveled, you know, just becoming very um, disjointed. Mm-hmm. And what it, what it came down to is she felt betrayed by someone in, in her life, not, not a family member, mm-hmm. a, a, just an acquaintance, I guess a friend. And yep. Yep. Um, this, the, the person that I was talking to that's really struggling um, is coming unraveled because of some of the choices that this, this friend is making in their life. And she doesn't like the choices that this person is making. And, and it was really affecting her. And in fact, she says, you know, I'm just so upset. I feel like I may go out and drink right now. And I pointed out, I said, you know, can I ask you what all these decisions that this person is making in your in her, their, her life, how does it affect you? I mean, what does that, ha- I'm, I'm not really seeing what that has to do with you and your sobriety. And she sat and she just thought about it. And the, of course, the answer was nothing. You know, are you, this this exactly. individual that you're talking about has a right to make whatever good, bad decision they want to make in their life. They have a right to do that, just like you have a right to do that. But why mm. is it affecting you the way that it is affecting you? And she, she mm. really had no answer for that. And I think that for us and for many of your clients, that may be very similar in that there are so many things that we allow affect us that really there's no reason for it when we really get down to yeah. it, there's no reason why it's affecting us, but yet it does. And to have someone yeah. like yourself be able to sort that, it seems kind of obvious from the outside looking in, but when it comes to recovery, I think that's why it's important to be in community. And this is something that I'm going to ask you is the importance of, of a larger community and having other people in your life that can sh- that you can share your struggles with and and have someone who's not related to you and really doesn't have a vested interest in uh, any decisions you, you make, but they can give you just a pure, unadulterated, uh, unemotional, detached um, feedback to what you're going through to help you see things that may be obvious to them but are not so obvious to you. Is that does that make sense? Uh- it absolutely does. And, you know, just, just back to the, the, the lady that you were talking about, mm-hmm. um, and I would nearly bet that one of her strategies is um, I, I have to save people. So yes. she runs a strategy that she's not good enough if she doesn't save that person. So she's judging herself on her ability to save that person. Well, it's actually not her job to save that person, but oh. her strategy that she probably developed many, many years ago was that I have to save everybody. Um, but un- understanding that the awareness around that, I actually don't have to. And and one of the, another strategy I use um, is I'll say to them, is that person part of your inner circle? And I'll go, usually go, no. And I'll go, would that person be in your inner circle if you chose them to be? And I'll usually say no. And I'll go, well, who cares what they do? That's yeah. their life. You yeah, I think you hit life. the nail on the head. I think that was a very, very good point that you you just made because that my reaction was because every, the, the, the standards that you just put out there, are they part of your inner circle? No. Would they be? Mm-hmm. No. And then I sit back and I go, then, you know, listen, I, I, I pray for this person. I hope that they get well and, and I hope they make oh, good choices. Absolutely. I hope that with all people. But at the end of the day, particularly if you're somebody that's in recovery, 
I am the number like when you're you're making statements to me that I am so upset by this person's actions that I might go back out and drink. Now that's another level. Now wait a minute. Absolutely, yeah. It, yeah, I, I mean, you're you're saying your sobriety is dependent upon what this person, who you've just told me you're, you're not related to, um, you, they're not part of your inner circle. Uh, why in the world would the actions of this person ever affect your well being? That's and that's an important question, mm-hmm. and the and, and getting to the heart of why. And I, I think you're you you may have touched it there, and that is that somewhere along the line, this individual was taught. Other people's wellness is dependent upon what you do. Mm. It's contingent upon and their you. Self-worth is their self-worth, yeah. Yeah. And their self worth is dependent on that. Their self worth, yeah. And their self worth is dependent on that. So, yeah, absolutely. I, I and we we all do it. Look, you know, I come from a, a world where I was the hero. I had to save everybody, um, and now I realise that. And I'm the same as you. Like I wish everybody well. I hope everyone does their best. But if I can't help that person, and it's not my job to do it, that's their choice. And that's the one thing. As I said before, we have control over our choices right and if we understand how we make those choices um you know it's important that we make choices that are that serve us because at the end of the day if our cup's not full Mm -hmm. we can't serve anybody else and if you're Uh, in recovery if you're in long-term recovery and 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 this is this is something that I, i i talk to people and if you're in recovery right now and you're listening to this podcast i i i want to just throw this out because it's very important that if you are to the point to where you've gone to detox or you've gone to an inpatient treatment facility and you've gotten to the point to where recovery, like the idea, the concept of recovery is something that you practice every single day, you have to be very, very careful with situations like mm-hmm. this this lady is facing and all of us face. Because at the end of the day, if you're in recovery, your number one priority is your recovery. And anything or yes. anyone that threatens that needs to go. In, in your life and in my life, because the day my recovery goes out the window, then I, I am of no use to anyone, particularly the people that are in my circle, inner circle, my wife and my children. Mm-hmm. And th- that's, uh, we have to be very, very careful. Um, you know, if you're in a recovery, trying to be that, that savior, that hero for everyone else, your number one priority mm-hmm. has to be your own wellness and own well well-being because they are of no use to anyone else without it. And I, I absolutely agree. And in reality, Mike, you know, there's people out there that will want you to actually, you know, not succeed because if you don't succeed, maybe they can they can be the hero. Um, and you know, sometimes those choices are hard, particularly tribal. You know, tribal conditioning, how we're brought up as children, how how we're taught that our family are the most important. But you know, sometimes. Um, there are members within our closer circles that actually are the most toxic. Oh, yes. They're big choices. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, They're big choices, particularly if you're going through sobriety. They're big choices that maybe you'll have to make to go, actually, I don't need that person in my life right now because they're not helping my path. They're not helping my goal. And they're big ones. But sometimes we have to make them around the people that we choose in our life choose in our inner circle because they're important to us they're important to our recovery they're important to our life goals and we need their support we don't need them sabotaging what we're doing mm-hmm. oh very well said and I'm, I'm excited for the work that you're doing this is uh, very very important and thank you so much for coming on the program i, I really enjoyed pleasure, 
I've, I've really enjoyed uh, meeting with you and, and talking with you, and, and I wish you the best of luck in, in the campaign. So when, when is the, the, you know, I would imagine most of the people that listen to this podcast live in the United States, so different election cycles, a different system even, and um, are you in the middle of campaigning now, or wh- how does this work? I'm about to start. I'm about to start. So we'll campaign for about six months. Um, and obviously ramp up towards the end. So the election is in March mm-hmm. 2023. Um, so we will start campaigning soon. I'll, I'll, I'm actually the president of the business chamber, so I have to step mm. out of one role before I can step into another role. Um, and that AGM is in October. So the plan is that I will step down at the AGM and then I'll, I'll hit the ground running. Um, but, you know, campaigning, and, and I just want to touch on this, Mike, because mm-hmm. I really, I mean, you know, I know it's politics and I know it's part of government, but being an elected member and being a member of parliament shouldn't be about politics. Mm-mm. It's about how you represent your people. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's what's important. It's actually not being elected to parliament that's important to me. It's how I represent these people and give them a voice because that's what's important to me. And whether that's male, female or, or whatever, that's what I want to do. That's the only reason I'm doing this is to actually give them a voice because they deserve to be heard and they deserve to have the best life I can help create for them through our governments. So, yeah, I'll start campaigning soon and that will be the the platform for me is that I want to do the best for my community. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well said. And speaking of which, so if our listeners want to uh, contact you or look at some of the work that you're doing, do you have uh, social media that you'd be able to put I out have social media and i have a website too yeah so um so i my my business is called cultivate confident cultures bit of a mouthful but it's uh, it just speaks to what i do um so i am on insta and i am on facebook um and i also have a website which is www.cultivateconfidentcultures.com.au dot com dot au Yes. Okay. Yes. And fantastic. And I, I have so enjoyed getting to know you and uh, all of the folks that uh, you know. Everybody from <laughs> everybody from Australia has a tremendous sense of humor, and I just find myself just laughing all the time when I'm I'm talking to you folks. It's just it's interesting, you know. Uh, we don't take ourselves seriously. <laughs> no, and I and I love it because I think oftentimes here in the United States, uh, you know that. I think we do. My my son actually just went to London uh, not long ago, and he came back, and and that was one of the first things he said to me. I, I said, "How was it?" And he goes, "You know, everybody over there, like you can joke, and nobody's offended because nobody really cares. They just don't take themselves too seriously." <laughs> and I think Australians are the same, you know, same way. Yeah. And I and I like that. It's refreshing because you know here here in the United States, sometimes it gets a little too serious <laughs> with folks. <laughs> But I've enjoyed it, and I wish you the best of luck. I really do uh, on your campaign. Thank you and, so much, Mark. And I know I, this is not a political podcast, and we we actually didn't talk politics. I, I hopefully wellness and, and addiction and people getting well. Yeah. Hopefully, like you said, hopefully that's not a political issue. I, I I would hope everybody listening to this podcast wants people to get well. Uh, we all do. Mm. So, uh, but good luck to you. I, I really and I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Thank you so much, Mike, and it's been my absolute pleasure to chat, and I've really enjoyed it. Oh, well, take care. And uh, folks, this episode has been sponsored by FHE Health, and according to SAMHSA, first responders are 30% more likely to develop behavioral health 
conditions like PTSD. And FHE Health specializes in getting first responders better and cleared for duty. And find out more at FHEHealth.com. And so, as I always like to say, I don't represent any group and I don't represent anyone other than myself. And that's true for Sue as well. Our only purpose in giving all of this information is to share with you what we've learned because it's helped us and maybe it'll help you too. And so, if I've said anything or if Sue has said anything that doesn't apply to you or you don't agree with, then just discard it. But try to take any information that you can use for yourself and help others as well. And that's what we do in recovery. We help ourselves along the way and we help impart the knowledge that we've gained to others as well. And with that, folks, uh, please visit our Facebook page, which is Recovery is Possible, and our website, vanbeerwellnesssolutions.com. And let me know if there's a topic that you are interested in hearing about, because I'd love to hear from you. And you guys, take care of yourselves, and we will see you next time. Take care. Take care.